You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Happy Father's Day. I don't know about you, but as I look outside, like it, it legit feels like November to me, and I I hate it. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm a baby when it comes to heat. Like, as soon as it's over 85 degrees, I melt. Um, it's just a fact. Uh, so I'm like enjoying it as long as possible, but I I just need the sun. So. Yeah, all that to be said, happy Father's Day. Uh, thank you, Rick, for uh, just everything you shared. Um, I think that was something I really needed to hear uh, and just be continually reminded of my position as a father. I have two girls. We, uh, Our daughter just celebrated her first birthday on Friday. So we bought her a brownie mix and that was it because she won't remember anything. So we're the worst parents ever. Um, but She's not going to be tied to things uh, ever, just sugar. And so, yeah, to all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day to my dad. If you end up listening to this, happy Father's Day. I'll, I'll call him later. I just wanted to acknowledge that. It's kind of cool uh, to, be, to be preaching on Father's Day. I kind of wish the passage like, was all about dads, so I don't know. Maybe I'll work it in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say happy Father's Day. Also, I think today is like a brand new um, federal holiday um, called Juneteenth. And so it's a it's like uh, represents the, the last day uh, or sorry, the last group of African-American slaves to be informed uh, that slavery had ended. And it was actually two years after the proclamation was written uh, by Abraham Lincoln freeing slaves. So regardless of the holiday itself, um, I just think it's important uh, for us to like remember that all people have value and worth um, that is given to them by God and they're God's image bearers. And there have been times in our history that we have not treated people as such. So I think it's even, imp- it's like an honor to be, I think, speaking on this day too, as, as we just like remember um, those things. So with all that being said, I'd love to just pray um, and then jump in. Father, thanks uh, for this morning. Thank you that you are our perfect dad. Thank you, Lord, um, that as, as some of us have great experiences with our Father, no experiences or hard ones, I uh, pray that we can rest in you, God, and run to you. And Father, I just, uh, again, um, want to remember, um, yeah, just people are all made in your image, and that's like, I think what we're talking about today, God, is, is how do we treat one another uh, the way that you would have us treat one another? Um, and so, Father, I come to you um, and, and just pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that there's like nothing that comes out of my mouth uh, that is just from Jake Clausen, but that is from you, Lord. Um, and I pray that there, if there's anything I, I say that isn't true or of you, it would just go in one ear and out the other. And so, God, I, I also pray that if there's anything that's true that you want people to hear and walk away with, that it'd be like a rock in their shoe they can't forget about. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that this would honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, just being fully transparent with you all, I'm like a hot mess coming into this morning. Uh, I'm like, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm kind of fighting off a cold. I didn't get much sleep. We drove up to Seattle uh, to visit Sarah's dad, uh, kind of like for Father's Day, just to visit. And we decided it was a good idea to leave at like 7 p.m., you know, because if you've ever driven up to Seattle from this area, a four and a half hour drive takes about eight uh, with traffic, 
in Portland and then Tacoma and then Olympia and then Seattle and then north of Seattle. So anyway, you get the picture. So we decided it was a good idea to leave at 7 p.m. Well, the way up, uh, Thea did not sleep a wink uh, the entire way. So I'm sleep deprived. And then on the way back uh, last night, we, ch- we were like, yeah, that was just a fluke. We'll do it again. And uh, you can probably tell uh, how that went. But what I was noticing, how this kind of ties in uh, to what I'm talking about is uh, I was driving home um, from Seattle. And I don't know about you guys uh, who, who are drivers in the room, but as soon as you like step into that vehicle and you buckle the seat, you become the best driver on the planet. Like no one else drives as good as you do. Um, and I know some of you are like, well, that's, it's true. Um, but that's what happens is like, I get in this car, no one else even touches me on how good it is, how good I am. And I can like pick out specifically what everyone else is doing wrong on the freeway, except for myself. I'm like, yeah, you didn't use a blinker. Why are you cutting me off? You know what I mean? Why, when I pass you, you decide to go 10 miles an hour faster than what you just did? You know, I'm very quick at being able to uh, pick out what other people are doing wrong on the road. Um, and so I don't know about you guys, but that's, that's where I see it a lot in myself. Uh, but on a deeper level, I think I can do the same uh, with people. Um, and so for me, I, if you're into the Enneagram, I'm just, I'm not going to talk about it a lot, but I am an Enneagram too, which means I like to help people and I get a lot of like, um, joy, I would say from helping people, but I think I can really compare the way that I help to other people. I can see the flaws and you're like, you're not actually helping people really well, you know, or you're not helping people at all. I could do a, a whole lot better at that. And no one else really knows what they're doing when it comes to help. And so I think we can tend to think of ourselves as better than others. I think that's kind of like a natural human thing that we experience in our fallenness. Um, We can often look to others uh, to make us feel better about ourselves, whether it's on the road or, in my case, helping people. Or we even use it to highlight what other people have done wrong. But I don't think I'm alone in this. I think we all struggle as thinking of ourselves as better. We compare what we're doing, the choices we're making, um, and we put ourselves next to people and make judgments and put um, ourselves above them. I think we can do that, whether, like I said, on the road or things that are important to us. Some ways you might see this um, is because it is Father's Day. Uh, I think like parenting, uh, we, we can look at the way other people are handling situations with their kids and be like, I would never do that. Like, I can't believe, you know, you're walking around the grocery store, you see, I can see someone like yelling at their kid, you know? And I'm like, I would never, ever talk to my kid like that. 10 minutes later, I go home and what am I doing? You know, it's just in private, so it looks better. So it might be for you, like parenting, you seeing the way that people are are treating their children. Maybe for you, uh, we have a lot of fit people in here. I'm just, I always call it like it is. Um, maybe for you, it's like comparing what other people look like. I'm not, by the way, I don't have a certain person in mind, trust me. Uh, but maybe this is landing on somebody. Um, but maybe it's comparing how much, what, what other people look like or how much time they're spending at the gym or whether the amounts uh, that they're lifting or the time that they lifted in or whatever it is. For some, it's like deep, deep sin in our life, Right. Like sometimes I can be, you know, or, or we can be like, well, I'm not like watching actual like pornographic images and things online, but you know, so what I'm doing isn't as bad as that. 
I'm not drinking as much as most people I know, so it's not really that bad. So we can kind of compare things that we struggle with, I think, to like how bad other people are doing it. For some, it could be theology or knowledge. Like that is really important. We have a lot of wisdom and knowledge and information, but we can be like, I can't believe this person doesn't know this or something like that. And we can kind of put ourselves above them. And so the question is, why, why do we do this? I think um, that there's a variety of reasons uh, that point to deep heart idols that we have. I think every sin or things that's not um, in line with what God has asked us is, is because of a heart idol or belief issue. So I think for one, you might struggle with the idol of power. I think when we do this and we compare ourselves to other people or put ourselves above people, it makes us feel better about ourselves. It gives us power. I have power over so-and-so because of these things. When I'm on the road, I have power over all these other drivers because I'm, I'm the best, you know. Some of us, we use it to justify our own sin and failure and security. So we have an issue deep inside, but if we can kind of manage or look at what other people are doing, I can control what's going on inside of me. Maybe for you, it... it it's a comfort thing. If you can look at what other people are doing and kind of focus on that, it's a little more comforting than focusing on what's wrong inside of yourself. Then you have to spend less time thinking about yourself if you're, if you're thinking and busy looking at what other people are doing. And some of us, like myself, uh, just go along sometimes when others are being talked about in a negative light. Uh, maybe we aren't the ones making the initial judgment, but we just go along with it and we talk about, yeah, that's, that's so true. I can't believe so-and-so would do that or whatever because we want to be approved of um, or liked by the people around us. So if you're like me, you're left wondering like, okay, like, yes, I see that this is a problem. What do we do about it? So thankfully, we're not left to figure that out by ourselves. Um, we're going to look at the uh, passage for today and, and see what the Word of God has to say um, about this. And so we're going to be in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. So Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. We've been working through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount um, for some time now. And so far, Jesus has been helping his listeners deal with, with personal temptations, kind of like lust and anger um, and greed, things like that that are inside, like something's happening inside of me and how... Does the gospel transform that? But now in this section, he transitions to interpersonal relationships. So essentially temptations and how we deal with one another in community and other people. And so we have titled this series, Live, as you've seen that, because Jesus is showing his listeners at the time and us how to truly live and thrive with people around you. And so here's where he starts. So uh, uh, I'm just going to read, I'm going to break it up chunk by chunk, verses 1 and 2, 3 and 5, and then verse 6. So if you're a note taker, I got kind of three sections. You'll love it. If you're not, just follow along with me. You'll be good. Um, so verses 1 and 2, Jesus starts out by saying, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the word judge has right here has kind of a, a a few different translations and words that kind of fit into its meaning. And so the ones that I think kind of apply a, a lot here that, that for our conversation um, is to, to come to a conclusion about or determine. So this word judge is to determine, come to a conclusion about. And these conclusions were usually based on other people's outward behavior, kind of like a trial, like a sentence has been made, a decision has been made. 
And therefore, it was determined that they would be punished or tried for their behavior. So an example in the Bible that can kind of help shape this that some of us might be familiar with is in uh, John chapter, it's like at the very end of chapter seven and then chapter eight with a woman who's caught in adultery. So basically, uh, some of the leaders, like religious leaders, catch this woman um, in adultery um, and so they bring her out like in front of the town, basically. And according to their custom, their law, she would be stoned to death for this act or this behavior. And so Jesus comes in and he says, okay, you want to throw a stone at her, let the person that has no sin and does not struggle at all with anything or live apart from God be the first to throw the stone. And one by one, people drop their stones and they leave. And so what Jesus is teaching in this moment, he says to the woman, sin and go no more. What he's teaching in this moment is that we all have sin inside of us. And I think for those people in the group, they all have the tendency to find what this woman did, bring her out and say, punish her. She deserves it. She deserves eternal like condemnation. Not just that she, you know, should be physically harmed, but it's like this person is so far away from God, she deserves to be, to, to die. And I think a, a similar example uh, for me, well, it's different, but similar, you'll see. Uh, I had, a, I had this roommate in college um, and uh, he, I would say, was somebody externally who was living so far away from, I think, what, what God would want um, for his life. And one example was my senior year. Uh, it was like 2.33 in the morning and I, I hear like some crashing and like glass breaking and stuff like that. And me and my roommate were like, looked at each other, we're like, we need to go like see what's going on. And we walk up and the living room is just a mess. Like lamps are broken, couches have been flipped over and, and he is just screaming at the top of his lungs. What am I supposed to do? And he's like swearing and cussing. And I'm like, there's like, this guy, there's no hope for this guy. You know what I mean? He is like so far away from God, from anything. I, I basically in my mind and in my heart had already determined he isn't going to be spending eternity with God. I was coming to conclusions about him and what he believed and ultimately where he stood with God based on his actions, as was this group in, in Jesus's uh, story in the gospel. The problem with this is that those doing the judging, like myself, and the condemning are sinful, as Jesus already points out. Who are we sinful beings to be the judge of other people? So I think this comes out of a place of pride. We think we know. We don't, we don't think we deserve punishment, but we believe others do. But that is God's job and God's job alone to eternally punish people. And if we are imperfect in our hearts, just as Jesus points out in the first two chapters of the Sermon on the Mount, so is our ability to judge someone else correctly, eternally. And that is why Jesus says, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you are condemning people in your own heart, you're inviting the same level of judgment because you deserve the exact same thing. And that is difficult in the society that wants things to be fair. We live in a Western society where it's like, you do this, you deserve blank. Okay, you do something wrong, that's what you deserve. And so when we see someone does something worse than us or worse than someone else, we're like, you deserve a worse punishment than I do. But that's not how Jesus's kingdom works. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And later in his letter, he says, for the wages of sin is death, which is an eternal death. It's not like physical. This means that in our sin, we are heading towards eternal separation from God, all of us. So with the measure of judgment we throw out, we have to accept the same judgment in return because we are no better. And so, by the way, I think I need to make a little caveat here. Um, I don't think Jesus is saying we cannot or should not be discerning about other people's decisions or choices. Like, I don't think he's telling us like, oh, someone's doing this, this, and this. Don't worry about it. It's totally fine. God's taking care of it. I think there's like a level of truth there. God is in control and he's sovereign. But I don't think he's telling us like, don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Don't pay attention to it, which we'll see here a little bit later on. But I think he's telling us we cannot pronounce someone guilty before God, like eternally guilty before God and what their future and eternity holds and thus determine their destination. And so of all the people who could condemn the woman that's caught in adultery in this example, it was Jesus. He, he chose mercy. No one could stand before her to punish her except for Jesus. Everybody else leaves and he's still standing there. He perfectly knew her character Maybe she did deserve it. Maybe she actually like did something that, that deserved this. We don't really know, but he chooses to forgive her. And if we're called to live like Jesus, we're called to have mercy on others rather than condemn them. About six months after the fiasco in my living room uh, with my roommate, I was actually standing next to him at a crew winter conference. Crew is like the um, student ministry that I work with. And when I was a student, uh, we went to this big conference over Christmas break in Portland. And I'm standing next to him. We, we convinced him to come to this, this conference. And uh, I, I don't know, to me personally, I didn't do much in terms of inviting him to come, uh, if I'm honest with you, which I'm not very proud of. But he's standing next to me and he's just weeping. He's weeping, raising his hands towards Jesus. And right now he is a teacher at a, at a Christian school and sharing at graduations about how the gospel has transformed his life, about how he had three friends who gave up everything to invite him. And I'm like, I should not be included in that. But if it were left up to me and my judgments and assessments of him, he would still be miles away from God. And I learned that day standing next to him that I cannot be the eternal judge for people determining where they're at with God. And I don't think that's our, our place. Transitioning um, into verses uh, three and five, I think building off of this, um, Jesus says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So I think Jesus is asking some rhetorical questions. How can you do this? It's like, well, you, you, you can't, right? Um, they point out our tendency to be pretty focused on other people's sin and, and not n- noticing our own, okay? I think a few situations do this. I think, I think marriage does this. Like sometimes there'll be a sermon and I'll like, I'll like nudge Sarah with my elbow, like, hey, you need to hear this, you know what I mean? And then she'll do the same thing to me, um, you know? But I think close friendships do the same thing. You live in close proximity with someone, you're going to see their sin, their flaws, their failures, their mistakes, right? And they're pretty easy to point out. I also think, uh, I think people who think differently than you also bring this out. I think when you have different stances, whether it be politically or on a certain topic or whatever, you can start seeing the flaws and the mistakes in their thinking or their actions 
pretty quickly because you're, you know, kind of opposed to them. I also think kids bring this out too. Like I'm so fast to like, when, when Thea does something wrong, I'm like, Hey, don't, you know, you know, I don't actually talk like that. Well, maybe I do. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, Hey, you can't be doing that. You can't be doing this. Like I'm very like pinpointed in what she is doing. Right. And so Jesus is telling us that we can be sewn honed in on this piece of straw. That's kind of what this speck is. It's a piece of straw or, or like basically sawdust that got stuck in someone's eye. So something very minuscule that we, in our, in our brother or sister's eye, people who are close to us, that we don't even notice the plank that's sticking out of our own. I'm like, it was funny. I was reading it. I'm imagining someone with like a legit, like log stuck out of their face. And I'm like, it was kind of funny, but I think he's exaggerating. Like people don't walk around with a log, like walking around, you know, outside of their eye. He's exaggerating to make a point, kind of like he does earlier when he's like, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. You know, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's not telling us actually like physically go do those things. We don't physically have a log in our eye. His point is we can be so wrapped up in what other people are doing or not doing. We're not, we're neglecting or not noticing our own sin. So we become overly critical towards others. And I think we can do the same thing as, as people in the text, being so wrapped up in changing people, fixing them, we aren't noticing our own sin, or we're neglecting it because we don't think much is there. I think that comes from a place of pride. We view our sin as smaller or non-existent compared to others. And so we become consumed with taking specks out of other people's eyes. And again, I think that this comes back to a lot of those like heart idols we talked about. It can give us power over other people. Like I'm helping you with this, right? It can give us power. Like, let me pinpoint this, this, and this. If you're in a relationship and there's one person who's kind of like pointing out all the specs, it can kind of like build power or control. I'm controlling who I want this person to be by pointing out all of the things that they're doing wrong. I think sometimes for approval's sake on my end, I can be really quick and when I'm sitting down in discipleship with college students to just kind of walk through all the things that they're doing wrong because I want to be seen as the person who helps them. I want to help them with all these little things so they'll come back the next week and be like, dude, you were so helpful. Thank you so much, you know, for that. I'm not actually like seeing my own sin in those things. I'm like pinpointing it, looking for it so that I can get the approval. And I think Jesus's main point is this. We need to deal with our own sin before we can help other people with theirs. Otherwise, we become hypocrites. We say, here, let me help you with this. Let me help you with that. When we're not actually like dealing with our own sin. And, and we're kind of saying we don't need help with our own sin, right? It's like trying to have a blind surgeon try to fix your eyesight, right? Like I would never want somebody blindfolded to be like, all righty, here we go. We're going to do some surgery uh, to fix your eyes. I'm like, no way, you know? It's kind of that same idea. It'd be somewhat hypocritical or it wouldn't make sense to do that. And so what he doesn't mean is we don't need to be sinless before we help people. That's not what I'm saying or I think what Jesus is saying. Because we know that doesn't happen, Right? He also isn't saying we shouldn't be helping other people with their sin. Um, but what he is saying is we need to acknowledge our own depth of sin with humility before we try to help someone with theirs. So how do we remove this log in our eye? I don't know about you. I'm like, okay, so how, how do we do this? And so the word log can also be translated uh, to plank. And the way we remove this plank from our eye is to look to the one who was hung on a plank of wood for our sin. Jesus didn't have a single speck of dust in his eyes, and yet he chose to die for the entire plank of wood in ours. 
And if we don't accept that, if we don't really accept that, acknowledge that, and don't believe that there is nothing we can do to lose that gift, then it will be impossible to help people in a humble way. I think we become prideful because we are not accepting this or acknowledging this of what Jesus has done for us. And we're working our butts off to chip away this log on the inside. And some of us get focused on helping other people because we're not, we don't want to deal with our own log in our eye or we don't see how big it actually is. When it's already been dealt with on the cross, this, this plank has been dealt with on the cross. So before you point something out that your kid is doing wrong, for example, remember that you too are in need of grace. Some of the most powerful moments I've had with my daughter, and she's two, are when I come to her and I say, Thea, daddy's really sorry. I yelled at you. And I yelled at you because I want you to like Dada a lot. And so when you didn't do what I wanted, it showed me that you didn't really like me. And so, Thea, I'm really sorry. And she, and she gives me a hug, right? And she's like, it's okay, you know, kind of thing. And I think that's what we can do and model as parents. Like, as, as we point out something our kid's doing wrong, do we acknowledge our own sin, our own things that we're bringing into that conversation? And maybe before you have a conversation with your spouse about something they're doing wrong or that you're noticing, remember that you two are in need of just as much grace as them. And you've received mercy from Jesus. So as you're going into that conversation, I would encourage you, and I think Jesus is encouraging us to talk with people, to people with mercy. Before you have a conversation with a friend who said something hurtful while you guys are hanging out, or you see them doing something that they shouldn't be doing, or you, you don't think they should be doing, Remember that you too are in need of grace. I think if we enter into these conversations and relationships like this, both with people we know and are close to, but also with people maybe we don't see eye to eye with, I think it'll completely transform our relationships. I really do. I think if we're entering into them, understanding the mercy Jesus has had for us, the grace he has given us, I think it changes and transforms the ways that we interact with others. And the last verse is this. It says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I, I read this verse over and over. I'm not going to lie. And I'm like, why is this here? You know what I mean? I don't know about you, but I'm like, why? I don't understand God. It seems like Jesus is contradicting himself here. Didn't he just tell us not to make judgments or like see people as certain ways? And then now he's telling us, don't throw things before dogs and pigs. What, what's actually happening here? Well, dogs are scavenging animals. Think of it more as like a coyote than, a, than like a pet dog wagging its tail, right? Some, like a pack of wild dogs like seeking to eat something, get food, destroy something, whatever it is. Pigs were also seen as scavenging animals and unclean and trampling on things and, and not really like taking care for what was given to them. Jesus isn't necessarily insulting people um, or saying, hey, this person's unclean, that person's unclean. I think instead, he's encouraging us to have wisdom on who we are sharing things with and what we're saying to people, especially, I think, the gospel, because pearls, as it says in there, is attributed to the kingdom of God later on in Matthew chapter 13. He calls the kingdom of God like a pearl. The gospel is like a pearl. So he's saying, be discerning or cautious in continually sharing the gospel with someone who continually rejects it, or even outright is, is scavenging to trample it. I was, uh, I was tabling at uh, Lane Community College not, not a while back, and I met, I met my good friend uh, Rowan there. But as I was, sitting, I was sitting there tabling, 
And this girl comes up and is like, hey, you're a Christian group, right? It's like, yeah. So what do you think about LGBTQ uh, stances and stuff? And I was like, okay, well, can we have like a conversation (laughs) about it? And she's like, well, do you think it's a sin or not? You know, I was like, okay, well, here, can I explain and like show you, can we actually sit down and like have a conversation? And she looked at the other people on the table and was like, hey, these people, these people don't like uh, the LGBTQ community. I just want everybody to know. And I was like, oh, man, this is so hard because I feel like she was already coming in, not wanting anything to do with it. And so I think in that example or that specific person, I don't know how helpful it would be for her or myself to like go through like, I don't know, the book of the uh, book of the Bible or like share the gospel in four points or something like that. I think Jesus is saying to have wisdom on where people are at in relation to God and how we approach those conversations. And so, by the way, I'm not saying that this person or is a pig or a dog or anything like that. Trust me. I'm just saying, I think he's telling us to have wisdom on, on how we have those conversations and where people are at. Jesus is also giving us permission, I think, to assess people's character. I think we as believers should be discerning people's character from a place of humility and wisdom. But as we've seen, there is a difference between judging from a place of self-justification to make, make myself feel better about myself and from a place of genuine wisdom. So I think what I mean by this is like, if you are dating or interested in dating, I, I don't think you should like jump into a relationship with, with just anybody. Like, I think you should be assessing their character and how that they're walking with God or how they're living. I also think we should be discerning about who we're having com- gospel conversations with. You know, I think we should be getting to know them and know who they are and how they work and their character and their personality and not just like throwing it out. You know, I think there's a level of, of that, but hopefully you get what I'm saying is I think we can be discerning um, about people's character. And I think who we share the deeper, more vulnerable parts of ourselves with. So it might be applicable to ask when I find myself making judgments about someone, is it in humility and wisdom, or is it in pride and self-justification? And I think the Holy Spirit can help us figure that out. And so that's kind of my, um, I don't know what you would call it, assessment of what Jesus is saying to us. Um, so I don't know about you, but I, I read this section over and over and I couldn't help but feel helpless. I, I fall short in, in judging people. I become hyper-focused on other people's sin and I lack wisdom in humbly assess, assessing other people's character. In short, I don't know how to navigate interpers- interpersonal relationships very well or wisely. And I don't know if you're in the same boat as me, but that's how I feel when I read this. Um, and what encourages me is, is that Jesus did. In his ministry, he was perfectly humble and merciful in all of his relationships. There was never a moment where he wasn't. He has every right to condemn the world, but the Bible tells us that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, if there's anybody who had the right to condemn to you know, people right on the spot, It was him who lived every moment perfectly in line with God and other people. Yet for our sake, he became sin. He took our brokenness in relating to others and took it with him to the cross so that you and I could be saved, saved not only from our sin, but saved to a relationship with him. And he gave that perfect life to you and me. And I think that's the only way we can interact with people without thinking we're better than others 
uh, condemning others, etc. We deserve death because of our sin. Remember, one speck of sin makes your whole self unclean. If I had a if I had a clean cup of water here and I just grabbed like a, a little tiny pinch of dirt and I and I stuck it in there, it, it would become unclean. Like the whole thing would become unclean, right? So remember this, that Jesus cleans us, he cleanses us, and he gives that life to us. And we rest in that. And that's the only way we can navigate our relationships with mercy, forgiveness, and wisdom. And so all I can say as I read this is that thanks be to God that he gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to give us wisdom and help us have mercy and humility as we interact with others and truly thrive and live in our relationships with other people. I have three... um, kind of quick applications, by the way, these won't save you. Like if you're looking to these three things to like, yeah, this is going to save me, make me better with God. It will not do that. But I think it could possibly help. The first is that I think asking yourself what situations or people kind of cause me to become most judgmental towards. And what does that tell you about where you're trying to find your worth or justification? or where your maybe insecurity is. Another way I want to say this is, is this. If you're unsure of where your heart idol might be, maybe it's the thing that you find yourself judging people the most for. What is that thing or that area, area that, yeah, that topic that you continually find yourself judging or nitpicking something or someone over? It might be where your heart idol is. And I think Jesus wants to come in and, and, and cure that, rescue that, transform that. The second thing is this, and, and I think that's pretty simple, like ask God to reveal your sin to you. You know, Jesus says, we don't notice the log in our own eye. I think that there's a level of like, well, maybe I'm not seeing the depth of sin that I actually have. And I think if we ask God, he will reveal it to us. It's a scary question to say, God, will you reveal sin into me? But I, I believe he will be faithful and answer that. And I think the third thing is this, to be vulnerable with others about your sin and to ask for help with it, and lean into your community's sin struggles. What I, what I mean by this is that I think sometimes we, we aren't vulnerable with where we're broken and where we're struggling, and so we're not actually inviting people to come in and help transform us, speak the gospel into our lives, and things like that. And so I think if we want to, if we want to have the log brown out of our own eye, I think, yes, it's resting in the gospel, but I think it's also turning to our community and allowing them to come in and transform us as well. And again, this isn't from a place of fixing, but I think it's a, a level of fighting together and coming together. And so those are just, I think, three quick things. Uh, as I close, I want to pray and invite the worship team up um, and, and go from there. So Jesus, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that is a continual lamp to our feet. God, I'm, I'm grateful um, that in a a world that is like constantly changing and, and things are always happening that we have your word uh, to come to, to rest on. And so, Father, I pray for every person in this room that you would be speaking to us, showing us, God, where maybe we're not believing the gospel, where we're not seeing our own sin. And God, would you help us to have grace and mercy um, on others because you had it on us. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. <laughs>